Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Gateway Rescue Mission, meeting the physical and spiritual needs of the homeless right here in Jackson, Mississippi. Check us out at www.gatewaymission.org. What's up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday, May the 4th edition of Rebel Report Podcast. Isn't that some nerd Star Wars thing? Isn't that, uh, uh, saying that out loud, it just stuck with me. I'm pretty sure that's something having to do with Star Wars. Uh, but anyway, uh, got a decent bit to get into today. Shea Patterson and Jordan Talmud are teammates again. Uh, the episode 5 and 6 of The Last Dance aired last night. It was pretty compelling stuff uh, i actually got my girlfriend into it who knows absolutely nothing about sports but found michael jordan's just general demeanor and attitudes towards uh everything just fairly ruthless and actually fascinating but uh so we got into episodes five and six of that kind of got into like the barkley series in 93 the first half of the three-peat uh, michael's gambling issues or gambling he called it a competitive problem, stuff like that. Uh, so a lot to get into there just uh, continues to be an incredible documentary. But uh, what's up? May the fourth be with you, which is something that I just muted on Twitter. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's just some way they use. Like, I think this is Star Wars Day because it says May the fourth. But uh, I guess yeah. nerds have a list. But I don't know. Uh, I don't understand. May the fourth. Whatever. Sounds like something you'd say on Star Wars. I don't really get it. I'm not a Star One Wars One of my guy. favorite Follow people that I follow uh, that works in media. Uh, T. Bob Abair um, out of Baton Rouge played at LSU. He is a super nerd, and he is comparing the uh, the LSU players that all got drafted to Star Wars characters. And like I've seen Star Wars, but he is comparing these players to names that I have never like. I have no idea who the character is, and I've seen the movies, and I have no idea who these people are. But uh, yeah, that's happening today. Yeah, I'm not going to hate on Star Wars. I don't understand it. Like, hitting people with lightsabers is not my cup of tea in terms of entertainment. Uh, I don't understand why the movie numbers are out of order, that no one's ever given me a good explanation for that. Uh, you know, I, I don't really... Like, Darth Vader seems like a cool mask, not a big costume guy, whatever the robot's name is. Just not a big Star Wars guy. Not saying it's... Like, it's obviously insanely popular. He's not a robot, man. He's a what? person that almost died, and they, like, restructured his body. Who? No, I know Darth Vader's not a robot, but there is a robot in there. What is it, oh, R2-D2? Yeah. No, I know Darth Vader's not there's a robot. A, there's a, a bunch of robots. Okay, sure. Uh, uh, yeah, whatever. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I'm not arguing its popularity. It's obviously very, very popular because, you know, of the impact it's had on just, like, culture and, like, how they're still talked about and all of that stuff today. I think, and there been a new Star Wars movie recently. Oh, hell, I don't know. I, there's See, like I just don't understand the timeline. If someone something. could explain Star Wars to me like I'm four, uh, then maybe I'd have a better a better uh, understanding of it. But not a Star Wars guy, but if you do celebrate that kind of thing, uh, congrats, nerds, it's your day. Uh, where do you want to start? Let's see. I guess the old Miss-centric thing over the weekend, was the closest thing to it, was that the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs took a flyer on one Shea Patterson, which led to a bunch of unoriginal jokes because Jordan Talmu and Shea Patterson are now teammates again. Is he going to take his job? Facebook post. Go ahead and get it out there. All that stuff. It was hilarious. The 87th time I heard it as well. But it is, is interesting. They are teammates again. I figured someone would take a flyer on Shea Patterson. I just figured, 
I mean, ironically enough, that Bo Wallace got a chance with the Chiefs. But if Bo Wallace and quarterbacks of that level kind of got a crack at an NFL roster or a crack at it getting into an NFL building, Shea Patterson was going to get a chance. Um, read into it what you want as to why it took this long, whatever. But uh, I don't know. I have a different take on Shea Patterson than most. I think plenty of kids have asshole dads. I don't really want that to be held against him. Uh, I get fans are mad that he left and how he left and all that. Whatever. I'm just glad the kid got it. That ship was steered by other people. And like I've said this before on radio before uh, you came on. And and so many of the responses were, he's an adult. He's 19. He can make his own decisions or whatever. It's like, man, when I was 18, 19, 20, hell, when I was 24, if my dad told me to do something, guess what I was doing? What my dad told me to do, I, I just I respect and value his opinion so much, and he's still my father. If he if he told me to do something when I was in college, I was doing what he told me. So yeah, presumably when you turn eighteen, you should become a man or whatever. But that ship was steered by other people, people that a college kid probably trusted in people that acted in bad faith and steered him in bad directions. I, I, he is the last person in that situation. He's the very bottom of the list that deserve or that should be blamed. It should start with his dad. It should start with Hugh freeze and his brother and Jim Harbaugh and all these people that were involved in this situation before you get to him. Because remember Try to remember what it was like when you were 19. And if you had people, some attorney, uh, some former Walmart attorney that's pulling you in some direction and everybody's got an agenda and you're a 19, 20-year-old kid, however old he was, it's, of course he acted erratically and um, Well, I don't even know if it's that complicated. Like, if I were him, if, like, it's just like any other kid. Like, I would have left if I were him too. Like, he didn't really sign up for the NCAA stuff. He got hurt. Backup played pretty well. well I'm, I'm talking about the um, misled stuff. Oh, that's what really makes people mad is the whole he was misled when his brother was literally on the coaching staff kind of stuff. But to me, that's no different than Justin Fields using the racial slur thing to get out of Georgia. Of course, it's not like, of course, he doesn't actually feel unsafe about that. He's just using the rules as they're constructed to be able to transfer immediately. I think people would have been mad or whatever. I think this is a little bit different than a baseball player calling him the N-word. I know that's not why he left Georgia. He left Georgia because he wasn't wasn't playing. It It was in a stadium of 50, 70, whatever thousand people. Like He just used it as a loophole, which I think Patterson did the same thing. But people would have been mad. Like Fans would have been mad at him anyway. The, The situation at that point was so toxic and so just like, contentious like it just it was never going to end well when he is playing for an intern coach in 17 gets hurt the backup plays well they finish the season strong and the interim guy who gets the job largely because of what the backup did at the end of the season like he was gonna leave i just don't think it's that complicated i just like obviously his dad probably not the wrong way i just like i don't know i just like like i know plenty of kids growing up that had asshole dads just try not to hold it against them but uh, just that that type of thing i don't yeah really, i like, guess that's the point i was trying to make it's it's just there are but can't you see why that misled strategy should make people mad i mean i understand they man they tried to throw old miss under the bus in the worst way and, and it worked to some degree they got him eligible but like the message nationally was so 
incorrect and people just ran with it. I mean, they almost did a lot of it on their own, obviously, but still, when you are, I mean, openly misleading about you being misled, people are going to be pissed off. I, I get the, where the, the anger comes from. I just think it's not directed at the right person. No, I we're saying I mean I'm in agree in agreement on that as well. It's just I don't like I don't like whether it's Fields or Shea Patterson or whatever, they're having to manipulate it and do these kind of just kind of come up with these reasons because that's the way the rule's structured and you shouldn't well, have And to you have remember them. that linebacker at Texas A and M, right? It, when Kevin Sumlin left, he wanted to transfer to Arizona. And he said that Jimbo Fisher forced him to break NCAA rules to try to get his uh, eligibility waiver yeah, because so that I was the only bad for the kid. Like, I don't feel like I don't, I don't, I don't blame the kids for that just because the rules are so messed up and then we're structured in a way where you have to do things like that to get eligible and not lose one of your four years. Yeah. And then that ended, that ended up uh, not working by the way. I don't know if you remember, there was a video that came out of that kid using racist language. And so, uh, he, disappeared from the spotlight however that's a good point uh, the ncaa basically forced you to uh find something negative about your school to get immediately eligible and it worked for a lot of people for a while yeah and then this like the uh, actual aspect of the, those two being on the same team again i mean you talk about how differently their paths have gone since they both stood on the sideline of the lsu game with tomu holding a clipboard and patterson going out there for the first half and trying to play a little bit in the second half and just not being able to, uh, I mean, incredibly different paths. I don't know who's older than who, but it is kind of funny to me that like Jordan Tamu, like when they meet back up in the building or whatever, Jordan Tamu will have infinite amounts more of like just football life experience, whatever. I mean, he's, you think about a guy that didn't get drafted, went into the Houston Texans camp, obviously got cut, uh, played in a second tier league that now folded. Like, like it's interesting to me that after all of that and him being Che Patterson's backup, uh, he is now like the uh, I guess more life experience, football experience of the two because he's going, he's already been through a lot of what Shea Patterson presumably is about to go through. Because obviously, I don't think he's making the Chiefs roster. I don't know about Tiamu; he might have a chance. But it's just interesting to me, given like where those two were in the fall of 2017, like just say October 1st. I don't remember what game that was compared to now when they get into the Kansas City Chiefs building is uh, two just wildly different paths and just kind of uh, almost ironic in some ways that the backup is now incredibly more experienced and he probably knows what Shea's about to go through better than Shea does, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah, and uh, if they have any kind of normal training camp, I don't anticipate him being there that long to begin with and uh, the jokes will continue to fly again and I understand why they happened this time, but... um. Interesting situation. It kind of feels like um, he was thrown a bone because whether it be a coach or an agent uh, asked for a favor. Um, I don't know. I mean, you have these quarterbacks that have no shot at making rosters show up to training camps all the time, and they get cut a few weeks in. Uh, very similar to Bo Wallace, like you mentioned, uh, on the same team. So, it, it – you know, it happened, and it, he'll be behind Tamu for a little bit. But if you're trying to figure out who has a better chance at making the roster, one is significantly higher than the other, and uh, this will be a story uh, no more after training camp. Yeah, I mean, they're I not going to share a sideline together during a real NFL game. I mean, you can take that to the bank, put your mortgage on it. It's not going to happen. 
Nope, but with the way the new cuts are structured, the NFL to where they don't do it. What was it? They used to cut from like ninety to hundred or whatever the original number is to like seventy-five, and then to the fifty-three man roster. Now that all the cuts come at one time, like, like, can you imagine them just being like the like I don't know, just the imagery of them two wearing a Chiefs uniform, yeah. standing in between Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines of a preseason game? Like, I don't know where I think that's funny or cool. Like, I just like it. it that's gonna be weird. Like seeing those two as teammates again. Uh, just after kind of everything that happened, not that, I mean, I don't know if they have much relationship at all. I don't know if they're friends. Like I say, after so much has happened as if like things happened between them. I don't mean it like that. Obviously just so much has gone on since the fall of 2017. It's just kind of wild to see them actually as teammates again, however short lived that it may be, but yeah, Yeah, there are people and it'll, it'll be fine. I mean, I'm sure they'll talk about things that they did together at Ole Miss, but it, it's funny. There are people, and if we ever bring this kind of thing up, you'll see the text line, Rippy. There are people that listen to the radio show that think that, like, Ole Miss and Mississippi State players, when they, like, make the same NFL roster, that they have to learn to like each other. Like, that, oh, I hope it's not a problem, or I hope they can play together, or, oh, man, I bet they're going to be... Uh, fighting over the Egg Bowl, it's like, well, no. I mean, they might, like, take some friendly jabs, but the the people that care the least about the outcome of the Egg Bowl are players that used to play in the game. Like, the fans care more about it. Some media care a, a whole lot about it. Like, their very ideals, quote, are wrapped up into the game itself. But the players, I mean, they're uh, a lot of the time really cool with each other. Yeah, and that's, they don't that's, act like children on the internet. That's really just where most of yeah. this stems from. And there was but. a fight, what, two two Egg Bowls ago on the field, and I promise you the players are more cool with each other than the media are that cover the teams. I promise you they are. I would agree. Let's take a break real quick. Remind you, podcast brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Hope you got outside and grilled this weekend. The weather was absolutely fantastic and looks like it will be again for at least today i haven't looked at the forecast beyond that but sunny weather just absolute perfect hopefully you got outside uh if you're planning on doing that this week or anytime soon and you're near the oxford area maybe you want to growl for mother's day weekend i don't know but go see greg at lb's university avenue across from kroger's the best place in mississippi to get meat steaks custom cuts sausages grill pack uh, all kinds of delicious stuff. If you want to go get hungry, if you want to get hungry quickly and you have a Twitter account, I would highly encourage you to go to LB's Meat Markets, which is at LB's underscore meats, and just go check out all of the delicious stuff. He is uh, one of his cu- uh, one customer uh, over the weekend. Looks like he had a bunch of sausage, some grilled chicken, uh, all kinds of delicious stuff going on over there. But go check it out for yourself. Greg can help you. Uh, aside from his gambling picks, I can't wait to call Greg the meat sharp again. Uh, hopefully we are nearing that and we'll talk about it in a second. But anyway, if you're throwing something on the grill this weekend, go check it out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Uh, anything else this weekend? Like not really a ton of hard news. I saw the NFL is proceeding with its uh, schedule release. I saw they quote unquote, like this is really not that shocking, but they plan to play with fans in the stands on September 10th when the season opens and they're going to go forward with the schedule release uh, this week. Was that this week? Uh, yeah, it's this week. They, they didn't give an exact day. I mean, the, the presumption was the ninth, but that's Saturday. I expect it will be Thursday or Friday. So that's all. I mean, that's always 
like that's interesting content, but I guess the news out of that is they are currently planning to basically play a normal season. I did see a report this morning that they are probably canceling international games, like they're probably not going to do the London stuff. If there's a Mexico City game, probably not doing that. Which Dude, Jacksonville smart. was supposed to play two consecutive games in London, if I remember correctly. So uh, good for them. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely uh, avoidable. Avo- I mean, a, a bullet dodge for them. That kind of sucks if you lose. I don't know if they lose one home game out of that or two. Presumably one. Surely they probably won't two won. home games. But yeah, that's just a pain in the ass. I read a story uh, back in the fall. On the so the Buccaneers got absolutely jobbed on their travel schedule. They had back-to-back West Coast road games, and then had what was supposed to be a home game selected as one of the London games. So they went like L.A., Seattle, London, and then back to like Philly or something. And Bruce Arians was like, "Can we get someone to just look over the schedule with common sense? This is absurd. Like we haven't been home in almost four and a half weeks. Like this makes no sense." So. Uh, I get why the NFL is doing the London team. I, I don't even know if I ever be- – I, I can't decide whether or not I believe they'll actually ever have a permanent team in London. I mean, it's not as crazy as you think, but it still is cross-country flights, a uh, long flight. Like, I think it's like six and a half hours from London to the East Coast. Maybe shorter than that. I don't know. But Let's see. New York City to London. It's just a gigantic pain in the ass, and like I don't think the teams like doing it. I mean, it's a cool experience once, but like travel-wise and all that, you're losing a home game just – kind of stinks all around so i imagine a lot of these about an eight hour flight according to google okay so i imagine and probably a little bit shorter than that if you land somewhere like actually on the east coast like i mean i know it's not that much further but like i mean boston something like that like i imagine there's a shorter point on the eastern east excuse me east coast city than new york but uh point taken about seven eight hours whatever i just uh I don't think the teams are – like, whoever the teams were scheduled for, they're probably not too pissed about this, if I had to take a guess. Yeah, I do have a feeling that a uh, a London team is coming. Uh, yeah, it might. I mean, they seem to be hell-bent on at least making that a possibility in the future. I just – I don't know. It'd be Logistically, it sounds like a nightmare, but the, the money that they could make by having a team over there would be so much. Yeah, it really would, um, and the – I think that's why they're continuing to go play games over there. And then you've got the Mexico city game and all that. But anyway, that's all canceled or presumably going to be canceled. But the NFL is at least proceeding business as usual to try to play a uh, normal season. How aren't altering, uh, are, is, are not altering anything with the schedule as of yet. I'm sure there are contingency plans in the schedule that will allow for it. Uh, again, debating for the thousandth time, we'll be having football in the fall. I don't know. Seeing, Things seem to be trending more positively towards that being the case. I am but, very uh, thankful for the guy that goes into the mentions of every person that talks about a sport as if it's going to happen as scheduled and reminding them that, well, it probably won't because coronavirus. Like, those people are heroes. Um, because, I don't know about you, I would have totally forgotten that I can't go into a grocery store without a mask on or that everything's shut down or a bunch of people are losing their jobs um, if you didn't remind me on Twitter, if I was talking about a, a football game coming up in the fall, if you didn't remind me that it may not happen, I would have completely forgotten. So thank you. Yeah. I just feel like we're past that at this point. Like in the, like, obviously everything you do is going to be affected by this for a while. I'm not a big fan of the mask thing, but whatever, if it gets us out doing things again, I can, uh, I can throw a mask on to walk into a grocery store or a gas station. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, but it seems like at least the NFL uh, is trying to proceed as normal as uh, or as close to normal as possible. 
Uh, now this is on ESPN's front page. They will cancel the international games. Whatever. Uh, I guess the, really the the main thing that we like that I guess is being consumed by most sports talk shows on this fine Monday morning is the episodes five and six of The Last Dance, which really got into a, a lot of different things. Uh, basketball wise, it was predominantly focused on uh, kind of the earlier Bulls teams, the first first leg or the first three peat, I guess I should say. Like they had the 1993 battle with Barkley and the Suns, uh, which if they hadn't have pissed away game one, uh, Barkley might have a championship. But uh, a lot of different stuff. They got into how Jordan was apolitical and dropped the uh, Republicans by sneakers to quote, um, which stemmed. I didn't know exactly the story behind this, but it stemmed from a. Uh, it stemmed from a, a. I think it was a Senate race in North Carolina where a Democratic uh, African-American candidate whose name escapes me right now is running against an incumbent Republican who I think had some like problematic policies, maybe some you know, racist undertones. I don't know. That was just at least the way they mapped it out. I wasn't alive then. I don't remember this race. But Michael wouldn't endorse the candidate. He wouldn't endorse the African-American candidate in his home state. And he kind of said it you know, off the cuff, Republicans buy sneakers too. And that has obviously turned into a very popular line uh, just about sports figures and politics. But like it was just interesting. He did, he still kind of they asked him. Yeah, about the, uh, he still kind of stood by it. Like I, I found that interesting. Like it just him just being like I'm gonna like I'm not gonna like endorse anything politically. I'm gonna be apolitical. Uh, might be a little harder to do in this day and age. But just I found it interesting. They asked him about it again, and he's like, No, I don't have anything to clarify. Like it's true. Yeah. Um. I don't know why it's it's not harder. And I, I saw some blue check marks uh, get really annoyed by that sentiment again last night because he's not doing his duty or whatever. Um, it, I'm with you. Like, I, it feels like it can't work anymore. Like, if certain athletes didn't speak Could out in favor of Kaepernick, they would have been critical of it. And some people did get that kind of criticism. Like, Brady. Brady did not. Oh, who was it? Uh, anyway, Brady didn't speak out about Kaepernick, and he got roasted for it by certain people in the media because he, um, you know, he's got this big voice and he's the the face of the NFL. And how dare he not not mention it? So at this point, like you're criticized not getting political anymore. Yeah, and I mean, I even remember, it didn't make a huge ripple, but like back when the Kaepernick thing was really, really just dominating the news cycle, I guess that was the, was that the 2017 NFL season or 20, I don't remember, it doesn't matter, but uh, Dak Prescott kind of didn't really want to offer his thoughts on the matter publicly, and then he just said, well, I'm going to stand for the anthem, like, I'm not going to really get anything, and he even caught some flack for that, and like, it just, I don't know, it's, I, I just think it would be harder for an athlete to do that today, but Jordan, Michael Jordan, if there's anyone that could do it, like it doesn't really give a damn about like kind of things like that, that don't really matter in terms of like how you're perceived, what you do politically or not. Uh, I, I, I guess if there's anyone that could do it, it would be him, but it was just interesting. Like the setting, like obviously was not alive when this was happening, but the way the documentary portrayed it, it seemed very surprising that Jordan did not come out and endorse this democratic African-American candidate. So I guess it seemed surprising at the time, but like, I don't know. I just went through and watched it. And I was like, this doesn't seem surprising based on everything I know about Michael Jordan now. And uh, I just think it'd be harder to do in this day and age, but I think he could probably do it. 
Yeah, it's a smart strategy for athletes to do. Uh, I mean, isolating a significant portion of your fans is never a good idea. Um, and no matter which way you go, you're going to isolate someone or something. You do what you want, I guess. Yes, you might as well just not do it. But, yeah, I don't know. It was uh, it was just kind of fascinating how that played out. They got into the gambling thing where he was just betting absurd amounts of money playing golf. And uh, the famous quote out of that, I guess, that really stuck and grabbed headlines was he said, I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competitive problem. I have a competition problem, which, uh, I mean, I guess kind of makes sense on the surface. But uh, I don't know. It just seemed like there's gambling rumors and stuff while he was playing kind of ran amok. Did it, was it his side telling the story or were other people kind of debunking the all that stuff? I mean, it was really just like them. Like they just had people talking about like how much he bet on the golf course or uh, the real thing that kind of blew it up. They lost game either game one or game two of the Eastern Conference Finals in New York in 92. They were down 2-0 to the New York Knicks. Maybe it was 93. It doesn't really matter. They got they lost the first two games in New York. They were down 2-0 in the series. And Michael went to uh, Michael went to Atlantic City and went and like gambled who which like their new is classic like like he said, she said type of thing in the reporting. Some said he was out till two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. He said he's back at midnight. Like he was like, I just don't see how that's a big deal. It got my mind off the game. I got refocused, blah, blah, blah. Some people saw it as like him not being dedicated, but like that was kind of an instance. Like, an, and then there was uh, just a couple of stories of him betting absurd amounts of money on the golf course and losing a bunch of money. And uh, you know, and then, but I don't know, they had, they seemed to balance it pretty well. I mean, there was uh, I think David Aldridge, had a pretty good quote in there where he was like, like you got to think like $10,000 to Michael is like lose like a hundred dollars to most people. Like he's good for it. Not that big of a deal. So they didn't really get into the weeds of like, obviously some of the conspiracy theories and all of that. Uh, I do think some of that after watching that last night is probably a little overblown conspiracy theory wise, but uh, he, he was very adamant that he does not have a gambling issue. He can stop gambling whenever he wants to. He has a competition problem. I mean, I don't know what's true, but I kind of believe it's somewhere in the middle. Like, obviously, that guy, like, as ruthless as he is and the way the documentary is portraying him is just him loving competition and being cutthroat in the rush of all that. Uh, I could see how gambling would give him that same sort of thrill as well. So whether it's a gambling thing or a competition thing, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know exactly what I believe, but, like, his side of things seem to make sense whether I believe it or not. Sure, we'll take your word for it. I have yet to uh, to watch it. I plan on doing that sometime today or tomorrow. Yeah, it was uh, it was obviously just. I mean, like, I, I don't really know what else to say. Profound about like e- each episode that comes out because it is incredibly well done. It was incredibly compelling. Two hours of television. Uh, I found it interesting. Like the nineteen ninety three series where they complete the first leg of the three peat. Uh, I just. I guess I didn't realize how good, like I knew Charles Barkley is one of the greatest basketball players of all time, but I didn't realize how good he was in that, like he put together one of the greatest NBA seasons ever in 93, was the league MVP, and they were a legitimate threat to take down the Bulls that year and just weren't able to capitalize on doing it. They kind of got nervous and squandered game one, and and that really set them back because you lose game one at home, and then they end up losing the series in six games, but I don't know. Just uh, Barkley's take on it and the battles that they had in that series was uh, was pretty fascinating. And then, really, the other takeaway from it, they had a big, big like segment episode, like part piece of the episode on the Dream Team, and just like the legendary stories that would come out of the practices. They had a practice game 
like maybe it was in Barcelona or whatever. It was in preparation for the Olympics to where like Magic and Bird were on a team and Michael was on the other team and they were just basically shit talking each other the entire time. And Magic's team got up to a big lead and like he was shit talking Michael. And it was kind of like the like obviously he and Magic Johnson seemed to have a pretty good relationship, but it was like the old guy kind of ribbing the new up and comer, like if you're gonna take the throne, like come get it type of thing. But they apparently just beat the hell out of each other for three hours in a practice game that I think Barkley, Magic, and maybe Michael called like one of the greatest basketball games in their lives. And it was in like practice uniforms in some secluded gym, like outside the United States. And you just have like the greatest players on the greatest team ever just crushing each other. Like you would never have that now. None of those players now would actually want to go like break a sweat in a practice game like before Olympics or whatever. Like, could you see LeBron and Giannis or whomever, like just today, just going at each other for three hours in a practice game, treating it like it was game seven of the finals? Like, they would be too concerned with getting hurt. But apparently, it was just an epic battle. And then they all went back to the hotel and acted like nothing happened and like we're all friends again. Pretty wild story. Yeah. I've seen and read about that, uh, that game before. And, with this proposal, potentially, of the NBA taking over Disney or something like that and playing games without fans, one of the counter-arguments has been, well, you lose the intensity of the game, and it's, you know, the last, what, 20 games of the season and then the playoffs being played without fans, it would take the intensity away from the athletes. Uh, if you look back on that and hear them describe how intense that game was when nobody was able to watch, Makes you wonder if um, that theory is kind of um, inaccurate. Because when it comes down, fans would be better, of course. But you've got two teams battling for a playoff spot. They're going to be intense whether or not there's 18,000 people or 8,000 people watching them. Just like this game. I mean, it was a practice. That's all it was uh, between teammates. But they describe it as the most intense game they've ever played in. So I don't think that should be a worry or if that even is a worry or a hang-up about the the NBA bubble. Yeah, I mean, that is a good point. I just, I, like, like, I, like, like, there was some interesting, there was some cool footage that they uncovered from that day and up from that scrimmage. Um, and it was obviously definitely weird, but it was like, it was not that nearly the same setting. Like, obviously it was a practice. Like, there were, I don't even think there were bleachers out in the stands. I'd have to go back and watch it. Again, or bleacher set out, but yeah, I mean, it's. It, I guess it's certainly, uh, certainly doable. I just, I don't know about it. Like, like a modern NBA playoff game without fans is, is going to be weird. I mean, obviously they're going to be able to. Like, I think they're going to do it and get it done. But uh, I do think some of the intensity will be will be lost because I mean, you hear current players talk about how like you know they feed off the fan. I mean, Barkley said it before. I remember him going on like Cowherd or something when we were first having the. Fans in the stands, fans not in the stands discussion. He was like, I mean, there were times where I'm tired and I just kind of rode the crowd's energy off that. So I think it'll be different. I think it'll be like guys will get tired easier and it'll 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 affect uh, guys late in games. Because, I mean, you got a two-point game in game four of a finals or a swing game like game five or something like that. <laughs> and someone makes a basket and it's just kind of dead silent, like in terms of crowd noise. Like, I just... Like big, like uh, the first big moment that happens in an NBA playoff series with no one in the stands is going to be, going to be kind of fascinating to me. Uh, just to kind of watch like what the players' reaction and kind of how they keep themselves, I guess, up and high, uh, just without having kind of the natural uh, uh, ambience of the crowd noise and all of that to do it. But I don't know. That was a pretty legendary story, 
uh, from that part of the documentary. Uh, really, outside of that, it just uh, just kind of more more evidence to support the claim that Michael Jordan just had like the greatest killer instinct of all time, and like a lot of times to a fault. Uh, obviously not all the time. Obviously it worked out for him <laughs> pretty well for the most part, but he just kind of took that off the court. They finally addressed the Isaiah Thomas thing where, you know, uh, Michael admitted that he's probably the greatest, second greatest point guard ever behind Magic Johnson in his mind. But uh, it said he had nothing to do with leaving him off the dream team and that had nothing to do with it. You could tell it was kind of BS. Like, because like the thing with the Isaiah Thomas and the Pistons thing is it wasn't Michael Jordan. Like, like no one really liked playing against those guys. Like he had gotten into it with Larry Bird. Like he and magic had been like icy before. I just, I think it was a bunch of them. And like, whether it was Michael or never, uh, I think a lot of people felt that Isaiah Thomas's presence was going to cause like, I guess problems chemistry wise. So I don't know if it was just Michael. I don't know if it was more than that. They kind of left that up for you to decide. But the fact that Isaiah Thomas was left off the dream team just by, by lack of merit alone is just kind of silly. Like, there's just no way that happened. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. I, I have yet to uh, to sit down and see it. But, yeah, definitely a compelling couple hours of television. I uh, I enjoyed it. I'm going to be uh, sad when these are done. But, uh that was really about it from over the weekend. Uh, there wasn't a ton of uh, hard sports news, really, uh, unless I'm missing something. You're kind of just, as things slowly start to reopen, you're kind of just seeing, like, this seems to be kind of you're on the clock now. As things seem to reopen and you can kind of make a little bit more of uh, concrete calls on things, uh, this next month or so, like, in terms of planning stages of getting sports back, whether it's college football or the summer sports without fans in the stands, as the calendar is now turned to May, this seems like the month where concrete plants will plans will probably be made. And if they're not, that's probably a bad sign. But it just seems like the wheels are about to start turning in terms of like whether you're going to get these things back or not here by the end of the summer. This seems like a pretty critical month for the logistics and planning stages of everything. A lot of wheels are going to start turning one way or the other. I mean, you've got the NFL schedule coming out. NASCAR is going to – I have a feeling a lot of people are going to be watching – not fans, not us uh, watching NASCAR because they'll probably get higher ratings than they've had in a really long time because it's finally something. But I mean other leagues, even though NASCAR is very different because the the players, if you will – don't really interact with each other, right? They've got cars around them. So from that standpoint, probably not the best observation tool, but the putting on an event without fans and the the viewership numbers attached to it and, and logistically how they were able to pull it off and what it looked like from a broadcast perspective, a lot of people in the NBA and the NHL and Major League Baseball are going to be watching what NASCAR does. Is it this Sunday, I think? Or, I believe so. I believe it's this coming weekend, is it not? Um, either this one or the next one. Either way, what NASCAR is doing soon, a, a lot of stakeholders are going to be watching it very closely to see how well they pull it off. Yeah, no, I would definitely, I mean, that's, that's going to be, I mean, it's a good point. And like, it's, it's. I mean, like, I always, for whatever reason, every time this is uh, this has come up, I always think of the classic in, uh, NFL cliche, it's a copycat league. Well, now it's about to be a copycat world. Because, like, when the first one tried, people were going to tweak things based off the, the failures or successes of NASCAR and then golf. And they're all, like, some of these are going to be different because they're different sports, require different things from, you know, security-wise, the way the game is played and all of that. But, like, 
Like the the first one being the guinea pig. Like I, I feel like when the NBA and MLB come back, like they'll have a chance to kind of like whatever mistakes I guess I'm saying the first league makes. Like the the bigger leagues, like the NFL. I excuse me, the NBA and the M- MLB will kind of have an opportunity to correct that. So like having these test cases with NASCAR or golf or USC or whatever or whomever comes back first is going to be beneficial, but they're all going to be watching and they're going to be copying some things and probably uh, going in different directions and other aspects of it, but it's going to be fascinating. But yeah, definitely uh, all eyes on NASCAR. And then uh, I guess the next one after that right now is golf, right? I mean, that's early June. That's the only other concrete thing you have, right? I know Dana White's doing the Island thing where he's going to have an octagon on a beach on a private Island, but that seems a little more unique, but like, North, like North American sporting leagues, wise, that's kind of it, right? We don't have a concrete start date with anyone else, do you? Unless I missed something. Nobody else. So that that'll be it. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know. Not a big NASCAR guy, but I'm interested to watch and kind of see how this goes and the reaction and and how it went. And you know, after next week, you might have a a pretty good or at least a much better idea of how logistically feasible this is. Uh, obviously, you know. Basketball, baseball, much different sports than NASCAR, but generally just kind of having this and getting it back going, you'll kind of be able to tell just how uh, realistic this is. The last thing that actually we had to get to today that I could not find, I deleted it from the little notepad thing I have here that for whatever reason I just blanked on for the first 45 minutes of this podcast was uh, the Dallas Cowboys signing Andy Dalton. Uh, was it one year, like what was it like one year, $3 million contract, something like that? Or what was, I don't have the terms in front of me. Uh, I think it's 7 million with three guaranteed. Yes. 7 million with three guaranteed. Okay. 7 million, 3 million guaranteed. That's a, a fascinating move. I don't necessarily know what to make of it. Like, is it really just the fact that you want to have probably the best backup in the NFL but like when you have a guy on an unsigned franchise tag and you bring in a guy who's been a starter in the NFL and been to the playoffs five times in nine years, it's uh, interesting optics. At the end of the day, I think this is just Jerry Jones leveraging and just kind of pointing out, hey, at the end of the day, if we can't come to terms, like life will go on without you. But uh, what a wild move, particularly given the timing of it. Yes, I think there's more to it than just they, they wanted a quality backup. And that's mostly... Not the spin, but that's mostly the angle some of these uh, national people are taking today is, is quite simply um, they just wanted a quality backup, and that's what Andy Dalton is. He was given – he was placed in such a bad situation in Cincinnati. Awful teams, awful ownership, awful management, awful coaching, and yet he still put up pretty good numbers. I mean, the, the first six years, and of course, Andy Dalton's older, his NFL career is older than six years, but his first years in the NFL are just as good as, as Dak's on a worse team, significantly worse team. He's a capable quarterback, and I think you're on this. They signed him to be the backup. They signed him to be Dak Quever. It is also a situation where if there's something funky with Dak's contract, they have a guy to step right in and be their starter right away, and this could apply pressure to Dak to get him to sign a deal because you can say, hey, well, if you don't want it, we've got, we've got another one. So you can go into a quarterback market where nobody's looking right now, or you can sign our deal because we've got somebody that's good enough behind you who can put up just as good as numbers as you have, and he did it on a worse team and a worse franchise than the one you're with right now.
I don't think they they didn't sign him to force Dak out and him be the replacement. But I think in case they have to air quotes force Dak out, they've got his replacement ready. Yeah, I mean, Andy Dalton's a guy that's won two division titles, been to the playoffs five times. He's a three-time Pro Bowler, which is, mind you, three times more than Joe Flacco. I mean, he's had a good, successful NFL career. He's turned 200 touchdowns, 118 interceptions, 31,000 career passing yards, about a 62% completion percentage. He's a good quarterback that, at the end of the day, really just couldn't overcome one of the top three maybe top two dysfunctional organizations in the NFL. He's a good, solid quarterback that probably still has good years of being a starter left in him. I just, I, like, everything they keep doing and saying, like, th- what they're doing is different than what they're saying. They keep saying they're committed to Dak Prescott, they want to get this done, and now that may be the case, bringing in a guy, a three-time Pro Bowler, to be a backup to or still a relatively unproven quarterback. I mean, Dak Prescott has proven he can start in the league and he's won a playoff game. Like, unproven sounds unfair, but like, he's still his career's still in his infancy stages, and just having a guy that's, I mean, like, it, like if you told me what I thought Dak Prescott's career trajectory to be at this point, I would probably say it's something similar to Andy Dalton. So you're basically just bringing in an older, more accomplished version of Dak Prescott in terms of like, kind of limitations and abilities and all that. I just, uh, I, I don't know what's how this is going to play out. This was a wild move to me. I don't really, I don't full. I mean, I understand it. If I'm Dak Prescott, I'm not sure I'd know how to feel about it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I wouldn't either if I were him. But I I think that's the angle that I would take is they're trying to force me to sign a deal. Is they're, They're prepared for me not to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's probably pretty much uh, pretty much what it comes down to. But um, I don't know. Just an interesting move, something uh, something to monitor, I guess, as they continue on in contract negotiations through the summer. Whether he actually signs the tag or not will be uh, will be fascinating. Because if he signs the tag and he plays a year under the tag, then you kind of have a, an outlet to kind of see see what you have in him this year and then maybe move on. But if you get the contract extension done, then signing Dalton really doesn't make a ton of sense outside of being a really great backup. But uh, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, certainly, certainly fascinating as, as Jack, Dak and Jerry and the Cowboys organization seemingly have this like somewhat polite, but also somewhat contentious power struggle over what he's actually worth as a starting quarterback. So I don't know. Fascinating story that I'm sure has not had the last chapter written yet. So Anyway, I think that's about all we had for today. Uh, I remind you one more time, go check out LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. Local businesses need you now more than ever. Uh, If you want to throw something on the grill and you're in the Oxford area, he is absolutely the best place to go do it. They've got steaks, custom cuts, grill packs. I'm looking at all kinds of delicious cuts of meat currently on his Twitter page, at LB's underscore meats. but absolutely the best place to get meat. It is, uh, we've got some sunny weather, sunny days ahead. It is grilling season. No better way to social distance and go throw something on the grill in the backyard, cook up something delicious, and just relax and enjoy the good weather. Hopefully before too long, Greg will be back making picks and uh, earning his title as the meat sharp as we head into football season and football coming back and all of that. But for now, go help him out. Greg's been great to the show. It's uh, absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. 
I think that's about all Borky and I had today. We'll be back on radio, Sports Talk Mississippi, 3 to 6 p.m. today, as we will every day this week. We'll, have, uh, we'll be back on the podcast on Wednesday afternoon. If you like what you are today, like and subscribe to the podcast. Rate and review the podcast. We appreciate you listening. Hope everyone has a safe and happy Monday, and we'll be back at it on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.